Welcome to the SOB Podcast. Everything fun about family dysfunction with your hosts, Shannon Livingston and Joe Lobosco. This podcast covers it all from mobsters to motherhood and strip clubs to Sunday school with candid conversations on everything from surviving to thriving. Hello and welcome to another episode of the SOB podcast, the son of a bitch podcast. And I am the main host, the one with all the talent, the bitch, Shannon Livingston. And who am I? Who are you? And who are you? Who are we all? What are we doing here? <laughs> These are always good questions to ask. Yes, they are. My That's- name's Joe. I'm the son and uh, of the bitch of the <laughs> Yeah. So existential crisis aside, what are we going to discuss today? (laughs) I know you love these deep topics that we do. I'm trying to like educate and heal the world and you just want to sit in the studio. But yeah, pretty much. We meet somewhere in between. I think we're we're checking all those boxes. I'm not capable of having these, you know, intellectual conversations. It's just that's why you're here. You are capable. yeah, Yeah. My goal and is not to fix society because I don't believe society can be fixed. I just want to, you know, entertain people and more importantly, yeah. entertain myself. You're way too young to be so cynical, to be such a stoic. But I guess that's your DNA. That's, yeah, it's just that's the Jim Thompson sometime. in you right there. Oh, boy. It is. There are things that you do that you have no idea that just the way you stand, the way you talk, the way you roll your eyes, the way you judge people, the way you act 85, all of that is definitely my father oh he only made it to 84 so that's all right he acted older all the time (laughs) he was an old man early on just like you that's That's true you've been a little old man since you were two three years old that's just who you are and that's you know it's fine it's who you are you're not going to be out at the clubs and causing trouble getting into to legal trouble and ended right. up in prison, there you go. which is our segue uh, into our topic today. We're going to talk about the prison system in the United States and kind of how it differs from uh, from how it used to be. Certainly it has changed how it has affected our lives and how the system in the United States differs from the rest of the world. For one thing, we have for-profit prisons, right. which is you know a newer concept. These uh, private companies sign a, an agreement with the state. They agree to um, kind of fill up these prisons to you know have the occupancy at at a certain rate, and then these companies are able to make money. So once you uh, turn something into a, a capitalist system, it's going to be problematic. Well, not that I don't love capitalism. I'm so, just saying but, but, it's not what a prison was supposed to be. How does that exactly translate to profit? Where does that money come from? They get paid by the state to house the prisoners. And then they also. So this is the thing that I really wanted to talk about, too. So I'm glad we're getting to it right away. Uh-huh. Then I'll go to my notes because I'm already off on a tangent. I'm already off on like bullet point number seven, but that's OK. Um, you know, during the time of the stimulus checks, going out. Right. We have a friend in prison. He's going to be getting out soon, but he was saying that his friends were very surprised that prisoners got a stimulus check. And a lot of people don't realize that because they can't vote. Right. So I think we kind of have it in our head that 
uh, or for the most part, like you, yeah. you can get your record expunged and all of that. But most of the time, yeah. convicted melons can't vote. Right. So they do get checks. And it's not because, uh, you know, President Trump or or whomever really cared so much about these prisoners. They wanted them to have extra commissary. It's because they, they need to give them money so that they can spend money so that they're buying the tablets and the phone time and the commissary and, you know, whatever else it is. They're in there to be squeezed dry for every dollar. They That's can a get lot of ramen them. noodles. But, you know, their families are sending money. They've got the the stimulus check. I'm, they're, you know, their work is not going to pay a whole lot in there. But no. we are warehousing people mm-hmm. and allowing a private company to profit off of it. We are not rehabilitating them. We are not helping them rejoin society with well, new skills and better personalities. Yeah, I mean, I, I put in my notes here that I think it's interesting how they're always called correctional facilities because you're right. not really correcting anything. Right. Well, we used to you know, sometimes people correct themselves, but that's <laughs> and, you know, that's a the really system interesting itself does not do that. That's an interesting thing, too, because of the three men that I know that are all late 40s, early 50s that have done significant time, uh, significant uh, time and talk to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. So, uh, so three of them that I, I've spoken to just recently mm-hmm. about their political views and what they learned from prison and and all of that, all of them are politically somewhat conservative, where maybe they didn't start out that way, mm-hmm. um, and they have a huge respect for law enforcement and prisons. So while. I think all of them agree that uh, the war on drugs has been, you know, problematic and putting people in for possession and turning them into criminals and and all of that. Um, certainly that has flooded our prisons unnecessarily. There are people that these gentlemen have met in prison that belong in prison. So, you know, they have seen how bad it is, this uh, underbelly of society. And so you would think that they would be anti-cop, anti-correctional officer, anti-prison but ironically, they were like, yeah, that shit's fucked up. Like that, there are people that belong in there. That is tough. We should have laws that support that. Um, so, you know, we, we shouldn't be throwing nonviolent <clears throat> offenders into prison. Right. Because then they become violent offenders. We're just training yeah. them. We're putting them into gladiator school. But we do have to keep some people separated from the rest of us. So, you know, I don't want to sound Pollyanna like, oh, we have to help all the prisoners and well, and straighten up our system. We do. Yeah. But some some people are just kind of pieces of shit need to be locked up. Um, Richard Pryor had a bit about this in his Sunset Strip comedy special. He talks about how he went to go visit these guys in prison in, I think, Arizona, Arizona State Penitentiary. Uh, he was doing, you know, research for one of his movie roles. and Were at, they intense? Well, yeah, he said that at first, you know, he felt, oh, he's black man, you know, stuck in prison. What a horrible system. And then he got to know them, asked them some questions. And his revelation was, thank God these people are in no, prison. No, I meant not were they intense. Were mm. they in tents? Did they stay in tents outside or were, did, were they believe so because no. that's some of our prison system too and you know these prisons don't have air conditioning they don't have uh basic sanitation a lot of times just basic you know clean living conditions and 
and I know that people say, well, who cares? That's right? what they deserve. Right. That's what yeah. they deserve. That's not what they deserve. That if that is your son, your brother, your sister, whatever in there, and you want any chance of that person coming out intact and being... Mm-hmm. If they come out at all. Yes. And being part of our society again, then we don't dehumanize and break them down and put them down to bare minimum survival. That is not how we correct people so that, uh, you know, they're going to come out and and act better. I mean, obviously, these people have had issues before and uh, they don't know how to act or they wouldn't be there. I think it's also good to distinguish the difference between jail Mm-hmm. and prison because I hear a lot of people use these terms interchangeably and they are not the same thing. So what's the difference? Jail is a short-term solution to what's usually a short-term to a misdemeanor problem. <clears throat> yeah. And prison is somewhere where you're going to spend in at least a few years, if not 10, 20, 30, the rest of your life with a lot more security, a lot more. Well, and there are levels of going prisons. on. So, right. Yeah. And there's different security levels. So we used to visit a level five maximum mm-hmm. security facility. Which if you're going to visit someone, That's you it. probably want to visit in level five. So that is for the worst of the worst. And it was a new facility. So it was very clean, like at least the visiting room. I don't know what the conditions were at that time uh, in the actual prison. It has been shut down Mm -hmm. from the horrible conditions and rioting since then. So uh, Crossroads Penitentiary, penitentiary, I can't Mm -hmm. say that word. Why can't I say that word? Penitentiary. Um, I was adding an extra syllable in there. It's all my time with realtors saying realtors. Uh, So that facility has been shut down because it was so bad, but from our viewpoint, you know, visiting there 20 years ago when it was really new and the person that we visited was well-behaved, well-liked, well-respected by the guards because he respected the guards, right. you know, so there was just kind of that two-way street. And I think we as well as visitors acted more respectful than some of the visitors that were there. Sure. And so we did kind of get some preferential treatment. Like when we came in, they would ask what you wanted to watch on the TV over in the little kids play area. Mm -hmm. And that's what everybody watched. Whatever (laughs) you wanted to watch. Um, You know, there was one time I remember that a guard had found a little turtle Mm -hmm. and gave it to you as a pet, like kept it for a couple days, making sure that we were going to come visit like we normally did and then gifted it to you so so when i think of those stories and then the ice cream cake like we had a birthday cake for you that was an ice cream cake that i believe one of the guards brought in to the the visiting room do you remember that i don't remember that the birthday cake we had in the visiting room i think you were maybe eight seven something like that uh it's around the same time as the turtle Mm. could have been the same birthday so you had a different experience maybe than other people would have visiting a level five prison. Yeah, that's for sure. It was kind of happy for you. Kind of well, fun. A lot of people are also surprised when I tell them that it was a full contact visiting room. You know, they see on TV where you're in the room with the window and they have to pick yeah. up the phone. Well, and, I've done that too, because one time yeah. you had to walk through the machine and one tested time I positive tested positive for plastic explosives. Yeah. Thank you for stealing my line there. 
Uh, and I thought that it was drugs, of course. Right. I was like, no, no, I have a prescription for Marinol. Mm -hmm. Like that's your if you're picking up the THC because I was selling weed at the time and I'm sure I had THC all over me. And this, um, you know, machine would pick up drugs and explosives. And they right. said, no, no, it was for explosives. And so you have to have your visit through the glass this time. You can't be in the room. So would that have been makeup or something like could have been it was just a false positive. I mean, I had I had not been yeah, around any, any I hadn't even been around fireworks or, you know, mm -hmm. anything like that. So um, sometimes you get a false positive and that's so I sat in the the little glass room and talked to him through the phone. But otherwise, as you were saying, it was. But when you say full contact, people think. Um, no, you're in one big room with a bunch of tables and you're not supposed to touch anybody. You're not right. supposed to go in the corner. You can hug and kiss for like two seconds. Yeah. When you go in. But they time you like if you're together too long it's like a middle yeah, school day break you apart and it'll end the visit and so you don't want to do anything that's going to end mm -hmm. the visit or put you on a list or get them into trouble or get you into trouble and mm -hmm. a lot of times you you know it's a 45 minute drive and then you're in a waiting room while they go and pull the prisoner then they strip search them mm -hmm. then they pull them into the visiting room then they strip search them again when they leave the visiting room and then, you know, they go back to their cells. So each time we would go visit, I knew he was going to be subjected to that coming in and leaving as well. And I had to put all my money in that machine that no paper money kicked out. Yeah. All it was those all little gold machines. dollar coins because you, you can't have yeah. cash. So it's a big room and there's um, like the, the kids part had puzzles and a table Legos and, a, and stuff. a VCR at that time with, with kids movies. And then you had just tables with games and vending machines. So we would always take in 20, $30, whatever in change so that we could sit there and uh, have snacks the whole time. Cause once we were there, we would stay for a few hours. So we would, you know, try to make the most of it uh, most days and so that was the only place that I've seen those dollar coins that they tried to push on us years ago. I see them every once in a while. And I tell people, oh, those remind me of when I would go. I say go to prison and they look at me funny. So I'm like, I was visiting. I'm not, you know, but uh, yeah, that's one of the few places where you where you still see those on a regular basis. It was interesting. I aside from one time where I almost inadvertently started some sort of gang war, um, I had a usually a positive experience going to that place. I mean, it's easy when Are you're... Are you, you going to tell that story? Yeah, I think or? you know that story better than I do, so... How old are you? Like four or five? Something like that. Yeah, you were little and you were sitting at the table in the kids section. And so, of course, um, our friend and I were sitting at the table closest to the kids section. Cause if you were sitting there playing, we were right there. Right. And sometimes I would go over to the kids section and read books and all the other kids would come over and mm -hmm. he used to call me snow white because <laughs> we were the only person that paid attention to the kids. You know, everybody else was trying to get a hand job in the corner or some <laughs> crazy shit and they weren't paying attention to their kids. Yeah, and so, um, so I would, you know, try to play with the kids or whatever. But one time you were over there and you were building something with the blocks and another kid came over and I believe knocked it down and said, pick it up, freak, because you had scars on your head from all of your brain surgeries mm -hmm. and, uh, and always had short hair. So it was noticeable to a kid, especially a kid, you know, your size looking at it. 
And um, the head of the Muslims, I don't know if that's a movement, an organization, whatever it is, uh, he heard it and he looked up and he looked at our friend and me and then looked over at the the kid's father mm-hmm. and he and um, it was actually his mother that looked at him and said, you going to do something about that? And so instantly I thought, oh, God, Joe, <laughs> no, like now it's going to be some huge thing. And I don't know what faction of what is involved. And because this, again, level five, this is the worst yeah, of the worst are, offenders. These people are hardcore. And uh, so this the. The gentleman went over and talked to the kid's father mm-hmm. and I heard some of it and it was basically, you know, your kid's going to be in here in about 10 years with that behavior. You need to be a parent. You need to get up. You need to go correct that. Get involved and then pay attention to your kid. You know, sit, play right. with them. Don't read, let them. Read a book, something. Act a fool. So it was so funny to me that you had this, you know, the head of the Muslims. And I didn't know who it was until after. And right. our friend explained everything. Like, I, yeah, what I, was I knew there on. was gravity. I just didn't know how much. Uh, so there was definitely a, an order to things in there. And you had to act right. And uh, thankfully, we were, you know, part of the, the people that got treated well because we acted right. Well, and that's the thing. Well, like, again, prison is a long-term situation. So when you're, when you know you're going to be in there for, uh, you know, whatever period of years, you're going to have to learn how to interact with the people around you. You know, everybody loves watching all these shows. But some people, they survive by not interacting and well, not interacting with people on the outside. That That is also true. You know, even then, like, you can't just, you're not going to be able to just sit in the corner, you know, and read a book every day and not have someone come up to you. Like eventually that inertia is going to hit you. If you're in the room, you're going to have to interact with these people at some point. So you have to figure out, you know, how that's going to go. What and you show them, you know, what the standard is, how that whole thing about if somebody tries to take your lunch, you can't let them do it. Like, but that's you know. how I live my life. And I think that confuses high society when I apply prison rules and biker and and mobster ethics well, I mean, yeah. uh, to business and life. But There's that's a reason just those areas are, are set up that way. Yeah, that's just those are the laws of nature. You show people how you're going to be treated, and sometimes that comes with conflict. So I don't think that prison is that much of a deterrent i think people are just gonna do what they do regardless of of what the punishment is so much uh but a lot of people disagree with me and i went to an event one time a speaker series and met and listened to frank abernathy who was the real life person in the movie catch me if you can Mm -hmm. and he did prison time um, his life was a little bit different than the movie, uh, but pretty right on. He did some prison time and in different countries. And he said like in France, you're, it's, it was like a dirt floor and, you know, you pooped in a hole and, um, and he thought that our prison system was too good to prisoners and that the United States needed to have a rougher prison system to really deter crime. Now, he was also, you know, a little bit older. Right? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, Alcatraz didn't close until, what, like the 70s? Yeah. So, 
I get what he's saying, but I'm just saying there are different opinions, you know, lots of different opinions of, you know, how should we treat people? Should we make the prisons as good as possible? I mean, I, I watched that show. I think you watch it too. Is it Netflix where it's like prisons around the world? One of them's on Netflix. Yeah. And it shows there are are really, you know, hole in the wall places where it's like they're little cockroaches and nobody's inside and Mm -hmm. it's just overrun. And then there are places where it looks more like a dorm and the guards sit down and talk to the people. There's a lot of different experiments going on in some of the more affluent countries and then in poorer countries that are overpopulated. It's Mm -hmm. it's insane. I mean, you know, I, I, I I'll say this. I think people who travel to other countries on a regular basis need to know what the laws are and respect them because that, Brittany Greiner, because he was, yeah, that's a great example. Prison in Russia is no joke. Even compared to, you know, the horror stories we hear about people here in the United States, they, you know, just think about how, what it's like to not be in prison and live in Russia. It's not a place you want to be. You know, you just have to to be very careful because, yeah, the level of treatment that you expect is not always what you're going to get. So what do we do with these prisons now? Do we make them better for the prisoners there? Do we make them harsher? Do we, you know, we have pretty much stripped away the educational programs, the, you know, teach them a trade so that when they come out, they can you know do something we don't really have that anymore. Well, maybe you have different types of facilities for different uh, different people, different situations. We have different levels of different security. Different levels of security, yeah, but that's not... I'm talking more about like the whole but in the approach. General, do you think that <clears throat> prisoners should be treated better or worse than we treat them today? What can be done differently that would make a better positive social outcome for all of us? Not just for them, but you know, when they get yeah. released... Or before they go into prison, even how how do we just treat people better or have a better correctional system so that we have a better society? Well, I think it all comes back to you know the Rat Park type of thing. You have to give people just a better, you know, a more enjoyable way to spend their time, a better life in general, to where they're not making these types of decisions. So if we want crime rates to go down and incarceration rates, we should look at poverty, hunger, mental illness. Yeah. Now, as far as what to do with them. Now, you said Rat Park, and I know what that means, but I think you should explain that. Well, you can Google it, but... um, We're doing a show here. We don't want people to Google it. I want you to fucking talk about it. Scientists put a bunch of... They were researchers for... It was about drug abuse and a couple other things. In the 80s, they were putting rats yeah, into they put cages. Rats in, in, well, they, yeah, they were putting rats in cages and testing these different drugs on them. And cocaine and heroin. They put cocaine and heroin So me to tell the story and then, all right, go ahead. Be- but you didn't want to. You were like, oh, they can Google it. So well, I'm going to tell the story because be- you're. If they Google it, go ahead. So I have to take over. So the way. they had these rats in cages, isolated in cages, and their water bottles were laced with cocaine and heroin like not at the same time but they used both drugs in this experiment Mm -hmm. or these experiments and what they found was the rat would continue to administer the the medication through the water bottle some water bottle sometimes until they died they would overdose and so 
scientists thought, oh, well, look at that. The more you give somebody drugs, the more their body needs it, and they'll continue to do it until they kill themselves. So that was the premise that we have operated on for a long time in addiction and, and treatment and criminalization of, of drug use. And then there was this study called the Rat Park Study. And they said, you know, rats are actually social animals. Mm -hmm. So you're taking them and you're doing studies on isolated rats and they're killing themselves because they're disconnected from other rats and, and everything else that makes life worth living, like you were saying, that quality of life. And so they built a big, beautiful rat park with all of the treats and exercise and toys and sex and other rats and everything else that, that these rats could want. And they gave them water and they gave them water bottles that still had the heroin and the cocaine. And what they found was that not only did the majority, most of those rats just go for the straight water. In fact, they would, um, they would go through the withdrawal, like, you know, they wouldn't go for the, the cocaine or the heroin, even if they had physical withdrawal symptoms, because now they had connection to, to these other rats. Mm -hmm. And so the, you know, the outcome of that was that the opposite of addiction is connection. And if we're isolating people, whether it's in cells, in prison, through stigma, uh, poverty, whatever it is, that is what is causing this problem. And then they self-medicate and do crazy shit. Right, exactly. So in order to fix the problem that's putting people in prison, I think you have to look at those factors. As far as what to do with them when they get to prison... That's tricky because, you know, you look at some countries that have these more societal, you know, functional, supportive, not as oppressive, not as restrictive kind of criminal justice systems. And it seems to be working. But at the same time, America is a much bigger country than most of those places. And we have a lot of yeah. different types of problems. We do forget so, that, that just our mm, sheer size and the difference yeah. of our people across the country and trying to get us all to agree on something very different than Norway doing something effective with their criminal justice system. Right. So, you know, do some people need to be locked in a box? Eh. <laughs> Probably. You, do you think that people can be redeemed? I think it's possible. I think it's, without Jesus, like take religion out of it. Can they be redeemed in their behavior? Absolutely. I think the problem is when society gets involved, you know, we don't necessarily, we, we shouldn't be the ones to tell someone whether they're redeemed or not. That comes from, that's an intrinsic mm -hmm. thing. If, totally you know, agree. If they've changed their behavior, if they've a paid the consequences for whatever their actions were and mm -hmm. they've adjusted their behavior and their, you know, just outlook on life, how they carry themselves, then yeah, I feel like that's worthy of, you know, a fresh start or whatever you but want to call it. What about, are some crimes just so heinous that we don't allow redemption? I mean, you and I yes. used to hang out with the mob boss that had killed people and people said to me, like, aren't you concerned that he's a murderer? 
And I really was not. I, I think I trusted him more than a lot of people because he was honest with me. He didn't try to act like he was something that he wasn't. Well, I also. And he did do his time. But I also don't know that he was looking for redemption. Right. You know, that's the I thing. I think social redemption, I wanted him to have. He didn't give a shit. No. He was who he was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, but there's, but that's another thing is, you know, my bar for what I consider, I don't need to love someone's choices or their behavior to be able to spend time with them. You know, I, mm -hmm. as you said, I've spent time around some people who've done truly awful things and it didn't, you know, make me get up and, and walk away. So, you know, that, that that's another thing is you don't always, if everyone around you has to, you know, pass your moral equivalency test, then you know, when you really think about it, you're, there's not going to be that many people. Not if you get to know who them. really stand up to that level of scrutiny. We yeah, all that's the have thing. something. Yeah. Everybody's got something. So, you know, where do you draw the line? Uh, right. We've had such a problem with that with our entertainers, right? Like, do we listen to this song or that song if yeah, we know no. that that the artist right, but, was this awful person? And this is what pisses but me off. Every every <clears throat> president, every artist, every sculptor, every you know, yeah. every famous person ever right. has has done something awful. They refuse to play R. Kelly on the radio anymore, but I still hear Michael Jackson right. every single day. Right. So where is the justice in that? I know. You know, if you're going to draw the he line, he wasn't convicted though, because he paid him off. We know what happened. I mean. If you're going to draw the line, then you have to at least be consistent about it. So mm -hmm. for me personally, I don't know that there is a line. You know, it's there's some people I'll just choose with. not to spend time with. Yeah. yeah but yeah. as far as yeah, know, for me, it's a level vibe. of judgment. It's yeah. not a label. It's a vibe. And like you said, if I feel like they're making an effort to get along in society, mm -hmm. treat okay. others well, not continue whatever it was that got them into trouble or hurt people in the first place. Okay. And even then just sitting down with them and talking doesn't mean I, I want to make them part of my daily life or model my behavior after them or anything else. Um, but we are very judge, judgmental of others. And um, we don't look at the complexity of people. We talk about this every episode. We don't look at the complexity of people. We judge way too much. And I think we really cut ourselves off from the reality of life, that everything is both beautiful and awful at the same time. And you have to just accept that. Exactly. Yeah. Everybody, people want it to be this narrative of either you're doomed forever or, you know, you've completed this great redemption arc. And that's not really how it works. It's yeah. day to day. Well, I think also we have bigger towns, we have a highway system, we have, you know, things are more international. It used to be that if you lived in a small town and you had certain behavior, certainly if you were a convicted felon, mm -hmm. you know, that was going to hold you back. You weren't going to be able to reinvent in any way. Um, so you leave your family in the middle of the night and drive away and start fresh somewhere else in a big city, maybe because people didn't trust outsiders. You weren't going to go to Mayberry and start over mm -hmm. without a backstory. Uh, you know, so I think things have changed a little bit when it comes to that. And people can find their own redemption. Like you said, it is intrinsic with a fresh start, with a change of scenery, uh, things, you know, of that nature. But I'm I'm not sure that society is allowing that yet. 
I don't know if society will ever allow that. I mean, you know, we keep going back and forth. It seems like with some of these things, and yeah. now they're now they're picking people apart for things that don't even really, you know, that are of no consequence. We're talking about uh, tweets and jokes, and you know, just stop. I know. There's. Real I hope problems. nobody goes through my phone. I would be so screwed. <sighs> so, especially all the jokes and memes that I send to my sister. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's. It's tricky, but, you know, I, I, I think it's wise for most people to avoid going to prison. <laughs> That's good advice. <clears throat> and again, it's that incremental stuff. So d watch who you hang out with. Yeah. Watch what you're doing. Uh, Sometimes don't drink and drive. Just stay home. You know, you don't have to be a violent offender to find your ass in a prison. Yeah, so, exactly. So don't do stupid things. Pay your taxes. Um, you know, stay out of trouble. Well, and another part of it that people don't think about is you know just because you're not a violent offender doesn't mean they're not going to lock you up with one right so your cellmate may be very violent right and very amorous <clears throat> so you never know so i think that's a good way uh, a good place to leave it you want to take us out thank you for listening everyone stay out of prison yeah stay out of prison and uh if you know somebody who's in prison or been to prison uh you know cut them some slack yeah yeah maybe Depends on what they did. <laughs> Maybe then, too. You'll know what to do. Peace out. Please make sure to download and listen to SOB on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Don't forget to like and share on social media. This has been a Studio 239 production.